inspiring you to reach your goals and live your dream. And live your dream. This is the Keaton Nelson Show. All righty, guys. Welcome back to the Keaton Nelson Show. Uh, I got a very special guest for you today, John Nyes. Thank you so much for being on the show today, man. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you got it, dude. So I love just to start off getting to know you. Uh, you know, where where'd you grow up? Where you're from originally? You grow up poor, rich, you know, family broken, you know, or together, you know, all that stuff of things. So I'd love to just get to know you a little bit, man. Sure. Well, I uh, was born and raised in New Jersey, uh, Jersey City to be exact, on the uh, the birth. And then when I was three weeks old, we moved down to the Jersey Shore. Uh, I guess one of the more popular towns uh, is called Asbury Park. Bruce Springsteen sings about Asbury Park. He wrote about it in his, in his recent book. Uh, so that's kind of our claim to fame. Uh, I grew up about a mile from there and uh, cruised the same streets that the boss was singing about and, and cruising himself back in the day. Uh, I come from a, uh, a family of uh, four children. I have two older sisters and a little brother. And um, you might be familiar with my little brother. He was on MTV and did a little a real world gig and then the, the grind. He was the host of the grind for a little bit. And uh, then, uh, yeah, you, you asked if we had a broken family. We, my, my family did break up. My mom and dad divorced when I was about 14 and uh, dad split and he stayed around. He was in town. So I, I would see him, uh, you know, I was a, a big athlete growing up and my dad was an athlete. So he would come to all my games and, and a lot of my practices and, and those types of things. So my dad was around, um, but uh, I stayed in the house with my mom and the and the siblings. And uh, yeah, I, I we 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 didn't have money at first, and then my dad got hired uh, to be an NBA ref right around that same time when I was 14, 15. and he wasn't making great money right away, but eventually. He was making money. So by the time I was um, a, a senior in high school, I would say we, we jumped the class, you know, so it wasn't like we were poor. Uh, you know, I did know kids in my in my school, in my neighborhood that had had uh, the finer things in life that I wasn't <laughs> afforded. You know, I didn't have. I didn't have the fancy BMX bike. And, you know, when back in when I was a kid, we had mopeds. It didn't it doesn't seem to be a real popular thing these days. But uh, we had mopeds. Uh, it was like a, a gang, you know, cruising down the streets. You know, me and 10 of my buddies. And I was always in the back because I had the slowest one. I got a used one and everyone else had brand new ones. So, uh, you know, I, I was by no stretch of the imagination um, poor. Uh, we had we had money and, and, you know, we lived in a nice neighborhood and I was close to the beach. So, yeah, I, I was definitely not uh, uh, underprivileged, let's say. Gotcha. Um, you go to college? I did go to college by way of junior college. I was again, I was an athlete. I played football and um, I didn't have the grades coming out of high school. So I had to go to two years of junior college. I went one year in upstate New York school called Hudson Valley Community College. And then I transferred to Nassau Community College in Long Island. And from there, I headed out to Arizona. I went to the University of Arizona, the Wildcats, 
in Tucson. And I finished up college there. Um, I got drafted uh, out of out of the U of A to play football for the Buffalo Bills. And uh, that didn't last very long. And uh, I bounced around after that. I lived out in California for a while. And then I was uh, back in Jersey. And I've been here ever since. My hometown. I'm still in my hometown where I grew up. Yeah. What position do you play? I was a, uh, a a punter, kicker, wide receiver, defensive back in high school. Uh, take away the defensive back for junior college and then take away the wide receiver at Arizona. And I ended up just punting and kicking. I was drafted as a punter and I also did kickoffs and long field goals. I, I had a pretty strong leg. Uh, I, didn't, I struggled with the accuracy field goal kicking wise. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, yeah, I, I strictly went out there for, you know, a couple 60-yard attempts in my career, and uh, I was I fell short all three times. I had three opportunities to kick 60-plus yarders, and I missed all three of them. But uh, it was uh, – I definitely had the leg for it. I just didn't hit the ball well that those afternoons. Gotcha. Yeah, that's wild, man. What was it like, the feeling of getting drafted, though? You guys, like – Go, go nuts, throw a party and everything? You know, yeah, we had a draft party. I, You know, they kind of have a pretty good idea if you're going to get picked up or not. And that my agent thought that I was going to get drafted. And, you know, the, the irony of it all was I, I could never really accept the fact that I wasn't going to be a wide receiver anymore. I was always fantasizing and dreaming that I was good enough to play in the NFL as a wide receiver and so I wasn't really that excited. I didn't like punting and kicking. I just happened to have a really strong leg. And, and growing up, football wasn't really a sport that I paid much attention to. I didn't play football until my junior year in high school. And the reason I switched was because um, I was a goalie on the soccer team. And there was a kid, a very good goalie. He started as a freshman when I was in eighth grade. And then he got he held he got held back, so we ended up in the same grade. And so I was never going to play. Mm -hmm. So I, I played freshman soccer, JV soccer, my sophomore year, and then that junior year we had a new football coach come in, and he recruited hard all the athletes. He wanted them on the football team, and he actually uh, he got me to to switch over and. Um, I was glad I did. I, I loved the game. I, I played a lot of pickup, you know, out in the out in the parks and at the high school with my buddies on weekends and stuff. And I just loved playing football, yeah, uh, especially catching it and run, you know, wide receivers. So it was a natural fit for me. I, I ended up, you know, I was playing my whole, you know, as as early as eight years old. I think I remember getting together with my friends and playing, and I was always very good at catching the ball. I had really good hands. And so it was a kind of a natural fit for me in high school when I switched over and I ended up starting right away. And, um, you know, I did pretty good. I, I was all state uh, two years in a row and I was getting offers as a wide receiver. But again, I, I didn't have the grades, so I had to go to the junior college route. And when I got to Arizona, I, I didn't even tell them I was a punter and a kicker. I walked on. I didn't earn a scholarship. I, I walked on only as a wide receiver. And um, when I wasn't getting the playing time, 
that's when I told them that I could, I asked them basically if I could compete with the kickers and punters that they had. And, and they allowed me to, and I won the job uh, my senior year as a punter. And that's how that whole draft thing happened. I had a, a pretty strong senior year. I got invited to play in a couple all-star games. Uh, I had a real good all-star game on national TV and uh, Marv Levy, the head coach of the bills at the time, he was watching the game. Gotcha. And, uh, that was, you know, that's how that happened. <laughs> it's pretty cool. What happened after the draft, man? What, 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 um, I mean, after your, after your uh, stint with uh, the NFL. Oh, um, uh, well, I got, I got cut from the bills and then I was called right away by a former uh, player for the bills that was coaching in this, new league that they started called the world league of America of American football. And that was um, sort of a, an experimental league where they were going to try to be like a minor league to the NFL and help guys, you know, that needed a couple extra years to play there and then use that as a stepping stone. And uh, so I ended up going and playing for the team in Sacramento. There was uh, seven teams in the U S or six in the U S one in Canada and three in Europe. And that was pretty fun. I played in that for two years, and we ended up winning the championship my second year. And I got a, a, a tryout with the Pittsburgh Steelers following that second year. And at that point, I was living in L.A. Uh, prior to going up to Sacramento, and I, I started – I got – I dabbled with some uh, Hollywood stuff. I was doing commercials and some modeling. And – um, during that time, I was landing some pretty decent commercials and I was making probably more money than I was playing for that World League team. Yeah. So I thought, to my, I thought to myself, you know, why don't I just give up on this football thing? So I wasn't, I wasn't really too excited about it. I, I was, I never really got comfortable kicking and punting. It was always a very nerve wracking activity for me. You know, I, I was <laughs> I was, you know, because I was inconsistent, you know, if, if I was consistent, I probably would have been fine. But the fact that I was, you know, struggling with consistency, it was embarrassing. You know, I'd go out there and bomb a punt 60 yards and everyone would go, ah! and then I'd go out there the next time and I'd shank one 28 yards and everyone, boo. So <laughs> it, it just, I didn't like that feeling of being out on an island and a spectacle and, and and especially with you know field goals because in the world league i kicked field goals too i was there was only there was a small smaller roster than the nfl uh so they wanted to they tried to find kickers and punters that could do both and mm -hmm. i happened to do both so i was doing the field goals and the punting and it was like double jeopardy for me i, I was just the, the the nerves were just off the charts and so when I went to the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, I kind of, I was half in, you know, I, I really, I wasn't all in, fully invested in it. And, you know, I was, um, admittedly, I was a bit of a partier and, uh, you know, I, I was having fun and, you know, having, having money in my pocket, my own money for the first time in my life. Uh, you know, I was, I was, I was wild and, and mm -hmm. you can't, if you're not phenomenal, if you're not the best of the best, you can't behave like that. You you got to go all in, make sacrifices, really work and and train and prepare. And I I didn't do that. My mentality was 
oh, I'm a punter and kicker. How hard is that? I'm going to go out every night and chase girls and drink alcohol and do drugs and have fun and then show up and try to be a punter and a kicker in the NFL. And, you know, so I was, I was confused and naive and, you know, really just a, a moron to be you know, blunt. <laughs> I was just, you know, not, I didn't handle it correctly. And so I ended up uh, struggling and then when you're in that position and people are relying, counting on you mm-hmm. and it's, it's their livelihood and, you know, they, their success is dependent on the team's success. Everyone has to, you know, contribute. If you're not contributing, you know, you get a lot of bad looks, man. you got a lot of people, you know, I, I got, I had people like right to my face calling me out, you know? So mm-hmm. and these are like big, scary you know, <laughs> NFL players, you know, the guys that yeah. are like, you, you know, all right. Yeah. And I'm a rookie. So I'm, you know, this, you know, little scared, you know, very unfamiliar territory guy walking around, you know, like with my tail tucked between my legs, wondering, you know, and then when you start messing up, it's just not a good, it's not a good feeling, you know, and then the pressure starts mounting the fear, the insecurity, the doubt, all that stuff starts just going through your mind and you can't perform like that. And, and my performance, you know, was, was a real good example of what happens when you're not prepared. And so I ended up getting cut. And then I was, like I said, bouncing around. And then when I was, when I went to the Pittsburgh Steelers, they basically told me that I was going to have an opportunity to make the team. And that just wasn't true. When I got there, it was really obvious that the other punter was their guy. Mm. The other kicker was a was a all. I think he's in the uh, Hall of Fame now, Gary Anderson. But he was he was the the man at the time, and he and the the other punter, Mark Royals, was his name. They were like but all buddied up, and Mark was holding for for Gary, so they had this little relationship and rapport going. They were there three weeks before I got there. They reported early. So I didn't stand a chance. And and as soon as I got there, I realized it. And that kind of sunk me into a pretty deep depression because I was going to be stuck there for two months, you know, until oh, yeah. I got cut. So now I know that I'm not going to get on a, another team. So I, I was really just uh, licking my wounds and feeling sorry for myself. And that's when I started really thinking maybe I should go to Hollywood and become an actor. And that's what I did. I went back to L.A., tried to become an actor, but I brought the party, the party with me. Mm. That's another thing. I uh, uh, Naive, ego-driven, thinking that it's all about just looks. Well, no, dude, it's 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 a talent like it's a it's a skill that you have to work at and you have to practice and hone in on you know, go to an acting class. You know, I thought I'd go to a couple acting classes. The next thing you know, I'm going to be a star in the next big movie, you know? And I actually had some producers uh, really interested in, in hot using me, but once it got to the audition stage, it was quickly understood that I was unprepared. And, you know, this is really, uh, misguided guy that really didn't have a clue as to how things really work. And I guess that's like the theme that was kind of the theme of my life. I, I really, even if the, 
the guidance was there. I didn't heed the advice that was ever offered to me. Uh, the ego always seemed to get in the way. Like I'm no, I, I had this know-it-all, you know, oh, I'm great or oh, I'm a great athlete or oh, I'm a great looking guy. I, I can act. If anyone, I could do it. Anyone could do that. You know, and it's just, it was just wrong. It was like a really bad approach. And it just proved my lack of success mm. uh, just proved that, you know, that now looking back that I went about it all the wrong way. Yeah. Well, would you say to someone who's kind of in that situation now that they think like for lack of better words, they're, they're hot shit. They, they've got it all, you know, um, you got natural talent, good looks and, yeah. and, they don't think that they need to work for things or, or they, maybe they don't even think that they just think that they're. Yeah. I would, my advice to anyone, not just someone that has talent, anyone in life that wants to be successful in anything is, is tighten up the belt buckle, strap up your boots, you know, and, and get ready for some hard work and, and put it, put in the effort. If you, if you want to be good, not great. If you want to be good at something, you just have to put in the time and, and consistency. You got to work and work and work and you can't take things for granted. For me, I took my, my athletic, my, my leg in particular, I took that for granted. And if I had only not taken that for granted and done not even a lot more work, I could have done just a little bit more work and made some sacrifices getting rid you know, if I just stopped with the party and, and 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 the chasing and all that fun stuff and just f focused on working for even a year if i did that for one year of my life my the trajectory of my life would have been completely different i probably would have had a, a, a very solid nfl career because once i if i prepared let's say i prepared that one year the way that i should have going into buffalo they invested in me. You know, these guys, they they cut two other punters to keep me, even though they both outperformed me because of the money that they put into me. You know, they put they invested in me. I was a six-round draft pick. I got a signing bonus. I I, I got a, a, a roster bonus, you know. So when they give money out, they expect you and they they invest in you. They want to work with you. And mm -hmm. they try. They worked with me for eight weeks. Uh, four regular season and four preseason games. And then, uh, you know, after a couple of bad games, the coach said, John, you know, we really wanted to work with you and make this work here. But, you know, we just don't have the time. And and you probably don't remember this, but this was 1990. And that was the first of four years in a row that the Bills went to the Super Bowl. Oh, wow. So yep. I missed going to the Super Bowl that year. And the three subsequent years after that, like, oh my god, what? dude, yeah, it was bad. It was a, it was a horrible, horrible letdown of, you know, I let myself down. I let my, my family down, and my coaches, and everyone that that invested time and energy and and love and and support for me. You know, I, it's just you, you look back and you're like, dude, how could you be so friggin' stupid? You know, it was just. I, I just uh, I I messed up, you know. And, and hey, you're human, man. Like we all are, and hundred percent. There's there's definitely no like benefit of beating yourself up. 
either. You know, no. uh, looking back at it now, of course, but um, well, I did. I, that, that's oh, I bet, I bet, <laughs> but I, I bet it didn't help you out any. You know, no, um, it was. Uh, it, it just led to to more and more misery and suffering, yeah. and uh, ultimately, though, that led me to. Um, just meeting someone that became, I've had great mentors in my life. My, my, my mom, uh, my grandfather, my, my foot. Uh, did you lose me? Nope. I got you still, man. Can you hear me? I don't see you anymore. I don't know what happened. I can hear you. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, my, my, some of my coaches were, were phenomenal. And, um, but I, I met this guy out in California when I was at the lowest of the low and um, he took me in and, and made me uh, a student of his. And uh, he helped me change my life. I was, I was in desperate need to, to make some, some considerable changes. And um, he was able to do, help me out. You know, he really uh, put me in a position that uh, – am I still with you? Yeah, I'm still here, man. I'm listening. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't see you anymore. I don't know what happened. That's odd. Um, maybe but... Yeah, so I was fortunate to, to have some great people in my life. And Tell me about I... that mentor in uh, California. Well, what was his name? What did he do? Uh, well, his name was Grandmaster Mock Dom, and he was a healer. He was a, a fifth-generation doctor of herbs and acupuncture. Uh, his family was royalty. His mom was the queen of, of a, a, a region of southern Vietnam. And they were uh, a, a pretty impressive family. And he and his brother were both doctors. And his, uh, his, his go-to was acupuncture, but he also used prescribed herbs. And he had a steam room with a big cauldron and he'd boil uh, a variety of herbs in there. You'd sit in the steam and, and you'd steep in, the, in, in whatever was, was, you know, boiling in that water. And I, I was there on and off for about eight years. I would visit and stay in his place with him in his house. My brother also, we were both going out there periodically, separately, together. We brought, uh, you know, dozens of friends and family out there. And now I lost you. Basically, spiritually bankrupt. Everything about my about my life was was pleasure, and uh, you know, pleasures of the flesh. You know, it was a very hedonistic type of lifestyle, and I was just always seeking pleasure from you know, partying, uh, women. You know, hanging with the boys, uh, a little bit of adrenaline stuff, you know, pleasure seeking in that what way, driving, you know, really stupid, fast motorcycles, cars, you know, souped up cars and things of that nature, jumping off of cliffs, you know, just anything to get the adrenaline pumping and, you know, just did a lot of really, um, I guess you'd call it uh, dangerous type of activities. Uh, just to get that thrill. Um, and then he he basically pointed out that I, I had no spirituality in my life. And he basically introduced me to God in a way. And uh, he taught me to pray and 
He taught me to meditate and he taught me a, a different style, a different method of exercising. That was really interesting. One, one thing that he said to me was, um, why do you lift weights? And I was like, what do you mean? To be strong. And he said, no, nah, that's not the reason. And you're not strong. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, what do you mean, man? Like, that's not cool. And he's like, yeah, you know, that's not the reason. Why don't you tell me the truth? And I was like, I, I work out to be strong. And he goes, no, you work out for the mirror. Mm. I was like, what? He goes, vanity, ego. You want to look at yourself in the mirror and think you look good. And I was like, yeah, well, you got me. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and he's like, I know I got you. You know, I'm your teacher. I know you very well. And he goes, you're very unhappy. And and the, the ego is is a problem for you. Your, your ego, very big. And uh, he was right. I just had, it was all about the ego for me and insecurities and always trying to make myself feel better. I just had really low self-worth. And uh, he helped me kind of at the perfect time. He helped me because um, my wife, uh, now my wife of four children, her our first, uh, when she got first, when she first uh, got pregnant, I, I was probably the worst that I've ever been. And, and she, she was my real angel that came to rescue me, the two of them, my wife and our first child. And they were really the um, the motivation that I needed to to really step up and change my ways because uh, you know the, the the choices that I was making at that time was going to lead to either an early grave or you know in desperate need for rehab of some sort. You know uh, I was just heading down a really dark path, and uh, the the two ladies those those. Uh, Angels, they, they helped pull me out of that one. And thank God for them because uh, my wife especially, she had to put up with a lot of nonsense um, before I, I started to become the, the man she uh, deserved. Mm. Yeah, having kids um, cause an identity shift. Big time. You know, um, and put your ego in check really quick if you're a decent human being, you know? Yeah, yeah well. Right? Yeah. Someone yeah. else is more important than you for once, you know? Right. And, you know, the sad thing is, though, that there's a lot of men on, on the planet that that never learn that and don't put themselves, you know, they, they keep themselves first and the priority. And I did that, actually, for several years in the beginning. It took me a while to to undo the damage that had been done and uh, the mess that I was in. So uh, thank God for my wife's patience and for the ability to see the true me. You know, she kept trying to peel off, peel back the layers and not try. She kept peeling back the layers and the more that got revealed, you know, I, I just had to re really just be vulnerable and, and allow myself to be seen. You know, it's not an easy thing to do, you know, especially you grow up in this society where men are taught to be, you know, emotionless and don't cry and be tough. And, you know, you got to walk around all bowed up, pretending that you're not scared. And, you know, the the, the reality is, you know, the, the baddest guys on the planet, you, you know, you listen to these MMA guys, uh, UFC fighters, and they'll tell you, you know, like, I'm scared going into that fight. Hell yeah, you're scared. Like, who yeah. wants to get punched in the face? 
or kicked in the head and your life is at stake, you know? So every time you walk out the door, there's a threat, whether it's nature or another human being or a, a car accident or a tree falling or lightning striking or a shark if you're swimming in the water or an alligator if you're in the bayou. What, what there's, there's threats everywhere, you know? But I think the biggest threat is in your own mind. If you don't learn how to quell that ego, and to really step into your own power, which is finding your vulnerability and, and at least being able to open up um, yourself to, to your family and your loved ones and your wife. Like I said, I think there's a lot of men on, on the planet that never, ever get there. And the, the woman ends up becoming, um, you know, saddened by that, or she's, she's oppressed or suppressed or or it, there's not a real genuine connection. And th the connection that I now have with my wife is, is it, it blows my mind, like how unbelievable, like I'm so mad at myself for not getting it sooner. You know, I, get, I, I, I gave up so many great years of, of what could have been with her and uh, at the same time, I, I, I hurt her along the way. And you know, I made her feel a, a certain way of, you know, loneliness and sadness and, and regret and disappointment. And that when you do, like you just said, when, when, when you really have that authentic self of, of a loving, compassionate, kind, thoughtful, generous, empathetic person, which... I, I, I think we all have it. You know, there could be, uh, of course, there could be exceptions to that rule, but, but, you know, there could be really pure evil in a human being. I, I see that that can be the case, but we're, we're talking in, in general here in the majority, I think of human beings are good at, good at heart and deep down inside. And we've just accumulated these ideas and these behaviors and we've learned certain behaviors that need to be unlearned. And I learned plenty of them. I learned how to be a bigot. I've learned, I learned how to be racist. I learned how to be a thief. I learned how to be a, an oppressor. I learned how to be a womanizer. I learned all kinds of really bad qualities. I learned on the street and from my peers and from the television and from movies. And I needed to unlearn all that stuff. And thank God I had a super strong, powerful woman that helped teach me, you know, who I really needed to be in order to have that, that beautiful, loving, you know, soulmate type of connection. And, you know, it's, it's cliche, but I feel like we are, we are two parts becoming one. And every year within my love, my relationship and my marriage, you know, my wife and I are becoming more of a we than an I or a me. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's such a beautiful feeling. You know, it's to me, it's the it's the greatest gift that that God grants us. And, and that's and then you have family to go along with that and th the blessings of children and and having that that partner uh, to raise those children in the way that you both agree is the best way you know, to, to, to give them the best opportunities to be successful human beings. Uh, to me, there's nothing more important in life 
uh, right now, especially at this at this juncture that we're all at on this earth, there's nothing more important than that connection between a man and a woman to come together and to have a, to create a beautiful family that can go out and spread that love and that type of kindness and and you know uh, all those wonderful feelings that come along with it to, to share that that be that type of person for the for the world you know we're all in it together you know i don't care about dropping clichés but we are all the human race that needs all this set you know the segregation and the 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 politics of you know i'm on this side and i'm on that side or you know the racism and it's just such nonsense it's 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 all the ego you know, it's all the ego. And, and again, get back and getting back to getting that under control and learning, you know, really taking a hard look at yourself, going deep inside and saying, you know what, I'm really not that person. And I really do need to understand that I need to unlearn some things mm-hmm. and then maybe I'll arrive at a place where, you know, I can I'll look in the mirror and be proud of what I'm looking, what's looking back at me. Yeah, man. What's uh, what's some of your like future plans, dreams, goals? Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> um, you know my my big thing with the, with the grandmaster, uh, he said, you know, we're, we have a mission to accomplish. He said this to me and my brother, and he wants he wanted us to 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 share what he shared with with us, which was, um finding peace inside yourself and then sharing that peace with the world. And, and his wet methodology for that was to do four things every day, which was meditate, pray for others, not, not God grant me, God grant them, mm-hmm. bless them. Uh, that, that, that takes you away from yourself that you, you, you have a, you know, for that one to five to 10 to 15 minutes of time that you're going to spend praying you're going to step outside of yourself and the ego and the me and the I, and you're going to think about those in the world that are less fortunate or in dire need of your well wishes and prayers and thoughts. And we all know, you know, the atrocities that are out there from sickness to war, to violence, to people that are abused, to people that don't have clean drinking water, to, you know, the earth, the animals, you know, the, the injustices that are everywhere. There's so much, you know, that we can offer our thoughts and prayers out to the world. And that was the second thing. And then the third thing was to, to exercise the way he taught me to exercise where your, your focus is on the mind, where you're trying to develop a stronger mind. And the way that you do that is you put yourself into very uncomfortable situations so let's say you're in an isometric squat, just holding that squatting position and you're throwing punches or you have dumbbells and you're moving them in a certain way. You have to stay in that position beyond the point where your brain is saying, I don't want to do this anymore. This is very uncomfortable. So you have to go beyond that place in your head where you want to quit and keep going. And the way that he taught us to keep going was through breath. And so your, your focus is on breath. And 
I always, I always, I gotta, I gotta preface this by saying the pain that I'm talking about is nothing like the pain of a woman's contraction while giving birth or giving birth. I'm not even going to even try to go there, but I use my wife's example of her breathing techniques during her contractions, watching her give birth. She went to breath and just closed her eyes and went into this crazy breathing rhythm. And she said afterwards that it, it relieved her pain and it's the same concept. So you're getting into this uncomfortable position and your legs are on fire burning and you have to breathe in that moment to try to deal with as much of that pain as you can. And the more repetitions that you go beyond that point of I need to quit, the stronger you're getting mentally. And when you do that all the time, day after day after day, month after month, year after year, you're just constantly working on developing a stronger mind, which translates into the real world. So when you have stress, struggles, adversities, obstacles, they, you know, when you train like that, all that stuff doesn't seem to be that big. It doesn't seem like an insurmountable uh, mountain that you can't get up and over. It, it, it becomes more of, yeah, I can, I can handle those hills rather than having to get to the top of a peak that's friggin', you know, hard, you know, almost impossible to get to. That's when it's going to be too much stress and you quit, you give up. So, you know, that that was something that really transformed me quite a bit because I was in that old school mentality of lifting weights all the time and just trying to get bigger. And again, for the vanity, mm -hmm. that was my motivation. Now that I'm in my 50s, my whole approach to health and wellness is I want to be viable. I want to be strong. I want to have endurance. I want to be able to do things that other 50 and 60 year olds can't do because they're not taking care of themselves. I don't want to be that guy that can't, you know, maintain flexibility and agility and still run and, and, and change directions or jump up over a wall or over a fence. You know, I could still do all those things. And I, I attribute that to the type of training that the grandmaster introduced me to. And I've been doing that ever since I'm 28 years old. Uh, and so I'm just a testament that what he taught me actually works. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can, I could still kick my leg up over my head. I can still squat down my butt all the way to my heels. I can sit in lotus position and stand up, you know, so I'm still mobile. My joints are working. My ligaments and tendons are, are really strong. And that's because that's what that, that training also focuses on. So it's mind, it's breath and it's ligaments and tendons. So I'm not trying to get all jacked up and big and buff. You know, I just want, I want my body to be functional. And that's, that's basically what it is. And so uh, well, the fourth thing, the fourth thing is the most interesting. And that's self-assessment. Know thyself is what I refer to it as. And that's really just kind of looking inward and analyzing, you know, we can get really, um, Easily, we can get easily caught up in 
the ways of the world and emulating. And so we followed monkey see, monkey do. Like I, I saw this is how my father operated in life. This is how my mother operated. This is how my peers, my teachers, my clergy, all these different people I'm watching and observing. And then I kind of adopt their behaviors and you can get set in autopilot and you can get really bad habits. I could be like drinking like everybody else or smoking like everybody else or doing drugs like everybody else or, or being addicted to porn. There's like all these different behaviors that I can learn from people and say, Oh yeah, I'm going to do that. And then you get into this habit and you just get set in your ways of doing that. If you're not, if you're just going on autopilot and you're not taking some time to, Whoa, let me, let me sit back. Let me get quiet. Let me look at myself and do a little self-analysis how am I acting in the world? How did I treat that person? How am I interacting with my wife? Am I being a jerk? Am I being bossy? Am I being aggressive? Am, do I have control over my emotions? Can I control my anger and my jealousy and my rage and all those things that, that sometimes you have no control over and you just explode? So it's, it's, a, it's an assessment of saying to myself, okay, I don't like that behavior. What can I do to change it? And then you go into a, a, a just mode and I'm going to fix that. I don't want my wife to feel that way when we're having those conversations and I get heated. So this is what I'm going to do to fix that. And I'm going to ask her to help me work on that. So it's really just understanding how we, how we're operating in the world and what we can do in order to make little tweaks and adjustments to make us a better person, to make us a, an easier person to get along with, to develop better and stronger, uh, more uh, viable relationships that, that, are, that are meaningful. You know, so I, I found that one to be the most important for myself because I, like I mentioned earlier, you know, I was such a mess and so ego and narcissistic and selfish and self-absorbed, you know, you can't have relationships, any meaningful relationships with, with that type of mentality. So I really needed to do some self-assessment and make some adjustments and changes. And I'll tell you, the, the meditation and the prayer really humbled me when, when, when you think about that, when you step outside of self and you start wondering about, oh, man, yeah, and, and noticing, you know, just seeing the homeless guy you know, asking you, you know, for a dollar when you're driving down the street and he's on the corner all, you know, dirty and mangy, and, you know, hasn't had a shower and God knows how long, you know, th those things, you know, you can just either cruise right by and not think twice about him, or you can consider that situation that that person's in and then pray for that person later in the day when you, when you're quiet. And I just think it puts things in, in a different perspective and it helps you to, um, to really appreciate, you know, and be grateful for what you have, you know, your, your health, your family, your, your job, your, you know, your, your well-being, all, you know, the, the earth itself, you know, the, the sun coming up every day, you know, there's, those are blessings. Every breath that you take, that's a blessing. And to me, that's a reminder of, of the gifts of God, you know, that every breath is literally a gift from God that without it, you, you, you're gone in five minutes, buddy. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's just a matter of having, a, I think appreciation and gratitude is a big part of, of, of being happy in life. And uh, we all know, you know, by the, 
the statistics that you can check out, you know, the, the amount of depression and anxiety and, and loneliness and addiction and sickness, it's overwhelming. And I think that people need, they need solutions. And my brother and I are both, you know, on that path to help people uh, feel better. And, uh, you know, I work with people one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. I work with people in groups and uh, I've written a couple books, you know, so everything that I do is kind of geared towards, you know, getting that message out and, and letting people know that there is another way because I learned that there was another way when I was in bed in a, in a bad way. And uh, applying those things into my, into my life was, was, was huge. And so um, I added three more to his four, and that was connecting with nature, with, which is undoubtedly an enormous uh, healing modality, getting yourself immersed in nature, taking your shoes and socks off, putting your bare feet onto the earth. It's called grounding or earthing. And that was one of the first things Grandmaster taught me. And so that was an easy one for me to come up with, connect with nature, which means literally and figuratively getting out there and being, you know, if you don't have the, the skin for, you know, getting in the, in the high noon sun, get the sunshine at 7 a.m. Get out there and, and get that sun on your body and absorb that vitamin D and, you know, kick your shoes off and take a walk in the park or in your backyard or at the beach, those types of things. And then the other one is nourish your body. So being mindful of what you're eating and drinking. The food industry is a disaster. You can, you know, it's there's so much poison in the supermarkets. You got to be very careful of what you're eating and try and get, in, you know, the, the way God intended us to eat, you know, natural foods, you know, uh, whether you're a meat eater or nuts and grains and, you know, vegetables and fruits, th those types of things, uh, I always try to say if you if you can afford it, go organic. You know the the least amount of chemicals. We have so we're, we're deluged with chemicals from where we're breathing in and the exhaust and the radiation from the cell phones, the computers, the televisions, the light. Everything is just crazy. So you got to be careful about what you're eating and drinking. And then a little bit of service is number seven. You know, help out. You know, give a little bit of yourself. Help others in need. Yeah, I love those. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, the listeners are going to need a notebook to listen to this episode. <laughs> this is great. This is really good, man. Um, so we're coming up on time here, and I, I just want to ask you, I, I have a few questions I ask all my guests, and uh, I'd love to get them uh, to you. So what really quickly, what's like the top three character traits of a leader, do you think? Oh, you got to be a good listener. You got to be a, a great listener, and I think uh, great leaders surround themselves uh, with with like-minded, but what but um, unique-minded. So what I mean by that is surround yourself with people don't that that share sh your similar strengths, but they have unique qualities as well. So they bring something else to the table. Uh, so you have a, a, a group of, of great thinkers that can come together and work together. I think unity is a big, huge part. And uh, just surrounding yourself with, with really strong-minded people that are all willing to, to communicate with each other and listen and, and kind of um, adhere to each other's ideas, like implement different ideas. And, and another great leadership quality is don't be afraid. No fear. Be fearless. 
and take chances and mm -hmm. uh, don't let anything, you know, get in your way uh, from, from living those dreams that you have, because we all have them. Just don't let fear get in the way. Mm. Uh, what's the top, um, actually, let me choose a different question. What's the one book you believe everyone should read? Say that again. I'm sorry. What's one book you believe everyone should read? Ooh, one book. That's tough. <laughs> well, my book, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, what's your book? Uh, I have two books. One is called Punt. And that was written by D.P. Botticevsky. Um, and then D.P. and I wrote a second book called The Strongest You'll Ever Be. And that's my name first. His name's uh, – so it's John Neese with D.P. Botticevsky. So it's Punt and The Strongest You'll Ever Be. Punt is like the memoir, and The Strongest You'll Ever Be is those seven disciplines and, and how to, uh, you know – implement those into your into your daily routine so that's kind of like the methodology of finding your 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 strength your inner peace your happiness cool. you know your well-being you know the optimal health is what that book's all about the subtitle for uh the strongest shelter b is a proven method to reprogram your mind eliminate fears and live your best life and um and that's what that one's all about. Yeah, but the book so, that I, the yeah. book that I, there's a lot of books that I love, like The Alchemist is a great book. But my favorite book for um, kind of helping yourself advance in, in, in the spiritual realm and the physical realm and the emotional realm. And that is uh, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. And uh, it's just such a wonderful story. And, uh, Dan is a, is a, is a real powerful dude that uh, went through it himself, and uh, yeah, that that book really changed my life. I read it like three times, and uh, you know he's uh, that's one that I would highly recommend for sure. Awesome! Is it the way of the peaceful warrior? Is that right? I, the way of the peaceful warrior by Dan Millman. Cool. I'll have to check. It's it an out. old one. This one goes back like I think he. Might have come out in the early 90s, maybe, mm. 89, 90, 91. I'm not sure the year it came out, but way back when. Gotcha. Um, but it's still, even till today, it's, it's, it's still relevant. And young men especially, you can get a lot out of that book for sure. Awesome. All right. This is my favorite question. You're going to go back in time, and you're going to talk to yourself. Oh, I like it. Right? <laughs> what age would you go back to? You know it's you, right? But when you get there, you can only say three sentences. Oof. What age are you going back to? And what are the three sentences you would tell yourself? All right, I'm going back to um, – I'm 14. And I'm going to say one sentence is – um, treat women with respect. I'm going to say um, learn self-control and moderation and don't take life for granted. It's mm. good, man. So before we go, I'd love to have you kind of do a little 
little shameless plug. I want to know, I, I can tell you that you can help people who are listening. So I want to know, how can you help these people? How can they reach out to you? Where should they follow you? How should they reach out? Um, and like, who's the right person to re, re, uh, reach out? Um, well, number one, they, you know, I would recommend my book, The Strongest You'll Ever Be, which is on Amazon. Uh, for It's a real quick read. It's uh, real easy to, um, to get through the book in a day or two. And there's just some really great information, you know, a lot of the stuff that we talked about. Um, I have a website called uh, mypathtopeacechallenge.com. Um, I'll say that again, mypathtopeacechallenge.com. And that is uh, a way that you can work with me or you can just reach out to me on Instagram, which is John with an H dot Richard dot niece, N-I-E-S. Uh, that's my Instagram account. And you can, you know, people can DM me and connect to me and, and uh, through that way. And I, um, you know, I'm always reaching back out to people and connecting with them. And, uh, you know, I, like I said, I work with people one-on-one -on -one or in groups. So there's different options there. Mm -hmm. uh, so Instagram, my path to peace, challenge.com and my book on Amazon, the strongest you'll ever be by John Neese. Gotcha. And you're helping people, you know, implement those seven things that you talked about. Yes. The seven disciplines. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. But and anything else, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I, I was a personal trainer for, for 20 plus years. And, you know, I got phenomenal workouts, body weight, uh, minimal resistance. I teach the grandmasters exercises. So someone might come to me and say, hey, John, I just want you, I want you to help me get in shape. I'm not interested in it. I got all that other spiritual stuff, you know, taken care of, you know, whatever. Or maybe someone says, how about can you design a help me with my nutrition and my exercise? And yeah, no problem. So I cater to, to anyone's needs. Whatever gotcha. they're looking to do, that that that's I cater to that. Very, very cool. Awesome, man. Well, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come and, and be on the podcast. I think this is just like super, super helpful. My and pleasure. thank you to listeners. You guys are listening to this. You've made it this far. Um, <laughs> yeah, so thanks. It must have uh, resonated a little bit. You guys hear me say this, but um, share this out. Uh, if, it, if this one wasn't for you for some reason, share it out anyway. You, you got to know someone, <laughs> yeah. who, you know, that this is, uh, they need to hear this stuff. Um, and, and yeah, just thank, thanks again, John. You're very welcome. I appreciate it. Thank you. You got it. Until next time, guys. Peace.